This episode is brought to you by our friends at Mongoose. Mongoose is dedicated to being a bridge for higher education between schools and constituents. With a focus on conversational marketing software, Mongoose takes great pride in offering both the knowledge and the tools to help higher ed engage, motivate, and grow individuals and communities. They've got two exceptional products that help folks do just that. The first one is Cadence, higher education's premier texting platform. Mongoose Cadence allows staff to efficiently reach students in their preferred daily communication channel, which is texting. Whether sending a message to a single student or a large list, the platform facilitates timely, meaningful conversations that inspire action. Harmony. Mongoose Harmony is an intelligent chatbot that effortlessly guides visitors to the right content, captures lead information, and simultaneously updates any systems integrated with that chatbot, and routes visitors to the appropriate staff when a human is needed. Students and alumni visit a school's website because they want quick information. Conversational marketing through chatbots allows you to efficiently answer questions and keep constituents engaged at the peak of their interest in your institution. To learn more about Mongoose offerings, head on over to mongooseresearch.com forward slash enrollify. And fun fact, you'll be able to engage with a chatbot on that page. Again, it's mongooseresearch.com forward slash enrollify. So Dr. Neil Nyman, if I were to be invited to a UNH faculty happy hour and I were to ask your colleagues to describe Neil Nyman, what do you think they'd say? Wow, that's a pretty scary thing, being invited to a faculty coffee hour, Zach. Um, Well, prior to my current role, which is serving as faculty director of the business practice program, I was the associate dean of the college. Okay. So I was, uh, I guess, the number two administrator. And, um, and I guess people would probably talk about my time as associate dean, where we got a lot accomplished in the, in the uh, college. I, I seem to have an uncanny ability to sort of get things done. So I, people, some people like to say that I'm innovative, but I think most importantly that I'm able to execute on a good idea. And I don't really care whose good idea it is. I'll, I'll take any idea that makes a lot of sense and advances the future of the college. Hmm. Have you always been an idea guy? Like have ideas just kind of come naturally? Like are you one of those people where you're walking around and you see like business opportunities left and right? Or how do you, I guess, are, are you good at generating ideas yourself? Or how, how do you sort of rate yourself on the idea generator scale, so to speak? Well, I, I guess I like to think of myself as a problem solver. I'm also a guy that looks at the world strategically. So I'm constantly thinking, so when I was associate dean, I'm always thinking about our value proposition. Mm -hmm. How are we going to stand out relative to other business schools in a really crowded market? But I'm constantly keeping my eyes open just to get a sense of what's going on. And and if I see something that needs to be fixed or I see an opportunity to sort of make things better, then, hey, why not? Can you take some time to talk about the space that we're in. So you called it in the email that you sent me. You said, hey, I want you to come and and we're going to record this interview in this like experimental lab. Talk to us about this space and and what happens here. 
So, you know, the Space House is our business and practice program. And in the program, we're trying to prepare Paul College students to be successful in the job market. It's all about professional development. And so we wanted to create a space that simulated a real work environment. Hmm. So you didn't feel like you were in a traditional classroom and a space which would be highly configurable where students could get together and work on projects. Hmm. So in the business and practice program, it's all about active learning. It's not about passive listening to lectures, but actively engaging with industry professionals and real world problems. And so we wanted an environment that would sort of simulate a regular work environment. So as students worked on the projects, they would feel like um, they were out there hmm. in a professional setting. Yeah, it feels a little bit more like a WeWork or like a co-working space. Exactly. Like you walk in, there's like whiteboards, there's little nooks and crannies where folks can collaborate. And, you know, there's there's markers and like big, massive post-it notes everywhere. It, it does sort of have that sort of like classic open office collaborative feel. And that's really the vibe that we were looking for. And I guess I should point out to your listeners that we're actually on the ground floor of the largest dorm on campus, built in the 1970s. I'm not sure it's ever been renovated. And if you would have seen the space sack before we took it over, I mean, we gutted it. I mean, lighting, ceiling, HVAC, flooring, all the furniture. Um, but we needed to do that in order for it to feel like you're not in the dorm and actually to feel like you're not on campus at all. Yeah, so much so that, you know, I, I, students, uh, we walked into the dorm trying to find you and folks didn't even know that this place existed. So it, it seems like you guys, it, it does feel like very separate, I guess, like from from the core dorm, from the core operations of the dorm, which is, which is neat. Um, so we have a lot to talk about today, but one of the things that I'm really interested in diving into is this idea of experiential learning, right? And, 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 you know, what that actually means to you. I, I think when I think about experiential learning, it's become such a buzzword in higher ed, right? Every college thinks that they have it, thinks that they do it well, et cetera. Um, and I, I don't know, you know, a single school really that as part of their UVPs, they, they, they don't tout the fact that uh, they have an experiential approach to learning. And yet so many students graduate, as you know, way better than I do, underprepared for the workforce. So can you talk to us about the problem with sort of a, a standard approach to experiential learning and what you guys are trying to do here that maybe takes a slightly different approach? Sure. So, um, so when it comes to experiential learning, a lot of universities or business schools basically outsource it. And traditionally, it was an internship. So an internship is having experience in a real company and this sort of provides you with sort of a, a bridge or pathway to what it's going to like when you be like when you graduate. But the problem when you outsource something is there's no quality control. Some students have a really good experience. Some students have a bad experience. Mm. Plus, I mean, you don't have that many summers that you can pack in you know, an internship experience. And so how do you make sure that you've got one or two or three that actually lead to a job? Yeah, yeah. Or often, you know, experiential learning is thought of as study abroad or working on a service project or within the context of business schools, it's now a consulting project. Hmm. So you can go to, I've been to lots of ACSB conferences and they're the um, major accrediting body for business schools. And when people talk about experiential learning, well, 
we're doing a consulting project and this is our experiential learning. So, you know, when Paul College was thinking about how to differentiate itself, uh, all the faculty said, hey, let's do experiential learning. And my response was great, but it just can't be this run of the mill experience that you find it at any other college or university. So how are we going to do something different? Hmm. And that's when we got the idea of rather than sending our students off campus, why don't we bring the real world or business professionals to campus where we can put them and place them in a controlled environment where we can work collaboratively to design the courses and deliver the courses in a very non-traditional way. So we're very fortunate. Uh, our business and practice program, as we mentioned, is in a dorm, but it's across the street from the business school. And we like to talk about what happens across the street in the core curriculum. And then we like to think of business as practice as a curriculum enhancement. Hmm. So it's an opportunity for our students to interact with industry professionals, to become part of their network, but also to begin to de develop those soft skills that are going to make them successful in the job market. So we really got our start in the whole area of digital marketing, hmm. right? And I know, Zach, that you've got a lot of experience in digital marketing. And you know that the technology is changing on a daily basis. Sure. And uh, my wife, who does digital marketing, you know, a year ago, Facebook ads were very effective, and now she can't sell anything with a Facebook ad. And, and a year ago, Facebook didn't want to talk to her, and now she's got her own private Facebook consultant that calls her on a regular basis. And with things changing so rapidly, you can't expect a traditional faculty member whose focus is not only on doing a fabulous job in the classroom, but also advancing knowledge in their research to keep track of the latest technology yeah. or the latest tools and techniques. So we thought, hey, if we could bring an industry professional in and design a course around what they're really interested in that plays on their professional experience, then we could create something which our students have never seen, which would help build a bridge to sort of professional success for them. And what I think is so incredible about what you all are are doing here is oftentimes, right, a school, even if they've got programs that are maybe a little bit akin to sort of, you know, what you guys are doing here, it's like a, it's very scripted, like, hey, we want to go look for an adjunct faculty to come teach this particular thing. What you all are doing is you're saying, let's go find the professionals. Let's go find like the leaders in their spaces, their respective fields. And let's say, hey, you know, Neil, what do you want to learn? you know, what do you, or what are you really good at? What, 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 what do you want to teach rather? Right. And then you're designing a course around their expertise and their thought leadership, which that right in, in sort of like the vein of like new and next in higher ed, that's different. And I think that what you guys are building here is phenomenal for that reason alone. Well, you know, in Zach, we take it one step further. It's not, what do you want to teach, but tell me about you. Tell me about your interests. Tell me about your career. Hmm. Tell me about what you're passionate about. And let's see if we could build a whole course around that. Because a lot of the industry professionals that, well, I'll, I'll give you a story. So one, yeah, of, please. one, one of our professionals, um, undergraduate degree at Harvard, MBA at Chicago Booth School, has, has always thought, oh, wouldn't it be fun to teach in the classroom? Met with her, and it's like, okay, Laura, the only way this is going to work is if you forget everything 
about your MBA experience because it's not going to be like that. And so we talked about, she had a background in bar marketing and um, she has her own company. It's called uh, Breakthrough Brands. And she's very interested in an inspired branding. Hmm. And so we started thinking, oh, we we're going to slaughter in in product management or product marketing or something like that. And then it's like she does personal branding for lots of athletes. And so tell us about the process you use, hmm. Laura, and tell us how you interact with your clients. Well, can we put that process into a seven-week half-term course? And can you walk through the steps with the students on how to construct a personal brand book? And wouldn't it be cool if at the end of the, the term, the students had their brand book and a two-minute elevator pitch? Wow. Wow. And that's, that's where the class came from. Wow. So talk to us a little bit about how this relationship works with sort of the core curriculum, right? Because I think one of the things that schools struggle with is they've got a maybe a solid kind of core curriculum for their business students, and they throw in a couple of electives, or they do go and they go find an adjunct faculty, they come in and they teach a, you know, course on Facebook advertising 101 or something like that, right? And that person maybe runs their small sort of like digital marketing agency. Um, but like, it, it's sort of like an afterthought, right? It's, it's like an add on, whereas it sounds like what you guys, how many courses again, do you guys have currently something like so in the BIP 40, program, 50? we're offering 70, 70, courses. okay, 70, 70 courses. So yeah. you guys, I mean, this is like a robust, right? Like operation here. So how, how do the two work together? Like, is there a lot of friction? Like have, has the traditional sort of like core curriculum been very, you know, have the, I guess, traditional faculty members been very like receptive to this sort of like approach or I can't imagine that everyone was just happy um, with, <laughs> with, with, with the founding of, of BIP. Well, I was happy. Uh, well, let, let's talk a little bit about the origin story and how this came about. Please. So I was a, the associate dean at the time in charge of the undergraduate program brought together a task force to look at the curriculum. The curriculum hadn't changed much for the last 15, 20 years. But as you know, the business world has changed and business education has changed a lot. And how are we gonna keep pace with you know, an environment that doesn't look the same as it did 15 years ago? Well, as you can imagine, you convene a committee of faculty members, you're looking at the core curriculum and you're saying, okay, let's make some room for some innovations and nobody wants to give up anything. Mm. And I couldn't get anybody to budge. I couldn't even get them to give up two, three, four weeks within existing courses. And I thought we had reached a, a standstill and I wasn't sure what we were gonna do. And then it occurred to me, so UNH is, a, is a different in the sense that we have four credits for three-hour courses. Hmm. Okay. So the students pay for 20 credits, but the average load is just 16 credits. So actually that opened up some room that we could introduce two credit courses that sit on top of our core curriculum. So it's not taking anything away. Hmm. It, the students are getting the same ACSB accredited business education that you're going to get in any other accredited business school. But this is something that it, it's like the icing on the cake in some sense. So we developed the program so that the students had to take four BIP courses. We didn't 
take anything out of the core curriculum. The students were already paying for the credits, so that didn't seem to be a problem. And what we try and do is we try and make the, the courses so distinctive that many of the students um, tell us that the BIP courses that they take are their favorite courses. Yeah, yeah. The great thing is because we're not impinging on the core curriculum, the faculty are very supportive because we don't ask them for anything. And our, and our philosophy is tenured faculty should do what tenured faculty are good at. They should do research and they should teach core knowledge. But industry professionals, we should invite industry professionals in to do what they're good at, which is to talk about real-world applications, to, took that, to take that core knowledge and put it into practice, which is where the name business and practice came from. And what's so cool to me, I, I was on your website uh, in, you know, last night and looking at some of your, your course offerings, right? And you've got courses that are titled Bitcoin and the Blockchain, Agile Product Management, How to Talk Stocks, and College to Career, How to Stand Out in Today's Job Market. So very, very, to your point, sort of like practical, specific, distinctive learning opportunities that you know aren't going to compete with Business Analytics 101 or, or what have you, right? And I think that, that that model, right, what I like about it is you get to please, you know, the key stakeholders, which are oftentimes faculty members, while also still appealing to real world issues that, as you mentioned, are changing every semester, right? Like next semester, we're going to be talking about NFTs or something like that, right? Like, yeah. and you, you have, you have to have an agile approach to course development in order to, you know, live into your value prop, which is business and practice. And yet, the time it takes to kind of throw that stuff together and how quickly things change, it, it just wouldn't be realistic to imagine, as you've mentioned, seasoned faculty members, right, adopt their core curriculum to account for the latest trend in digital marketing or technology. Yeah, exactly. You know, they're still doing the heavy lifting, and we're, we're very appreciative and very grateful to that. And what, what makes this program work is because they're doing the heavy lifting, we don't have to cover anything. Hmm. So it's not like, oh my God, if we don't cover these three concepts, the students are going to have a big hole in their knowledge and this is going to create a serious problem. So that's why we're able to look for course ideas that either the, the latest, greatest skills, tools, or techniques, or somebody that's had some fabulous experiences. I'll give you another example. So, um, so an old student of mine, appears out of nowhere. He um, is opening a first Jersey Mike's franchise up here in New England. Okay. Just, just opened it in Exeter, and he's opening two more franchises and is thinking about a few more after that. He had spent 10 years uh, at a commercial bank looking at franchising before he decided to take the plunge and open up his own franchise. And we were talking about things and he really wanted to give back and was saying, well, I don't know, I could talk about debanking or whatever. And I said, what are you talking about? We got Jersey Mike's. This is going to be fabulous. Why don't we do a, a, a course about franchising? Hmm. And you can talk about, you know, how do you choose a franchise partner? How did you pick this location in Exeter? How do you hire your employees? How do you uh, select providers? Yeah. Um, how do you figure out 
how many other you're going to open and where you're going to open them and what's a good location. All you need to do, you don't have to learn anything. You just need to talk about your experience. And we need to organize it in a way that makes it digestible for our students. And so now they can take a course. Is it a general course in franchising? No, we have one in our core curriculum. But here's an application of some think something that's really important to the college and they can get some hands-on experience with somebody who does it on a daily basis. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think about sort of my own college experience and I went to George Mason university right outside of Washington DC and studied business. And one of my favorite courses, maybe even my favorite course was a course on airlines economics and it was taught hmm. by the former ceo of spirit airlines wow. and i learned more in that course not just about airline economics but about business about branding about how do you deal with pr scandals right i mean it, it was it was sort of like a an intensive on startup culture even because you know spirit at the time and still you know right. today's a little bit of the underdog right um, and anyways, uh, the point being that what was so neat about that experience was a lot of the principles I had learned in like, you know, fundamentals of, of econ and micro and macro econ, I, I knew enough, right? So that I could understand what he was saying when he was just throwing around, you know, jargon left and right. So I, I didn't need to rely on him to do sort of that fundamental teaching and instead he basically just told stories and we went through case studies the entire the entire uh, semester and because i had had that solid foundation in the core right all of yeah. this what made so much more sense and again I, I i do think it was one of if not the best course i i ever took so it, what i like about what you're saying is that again you're you're allowing the faculty to do what they do best you're ensuring that students still leave and graduate with a foundational knowledge of how business works but then you're supplementing that with very timely, very interesting, very practical, like live case studies. And to me, it's like, what more can you ask of higher education than to have, you know, both, right? Oftentimes it's, it's in either or. And yeah. I, I, I love the model. Yeah. So I think our most effective courses are the ones that give you insight into a process. So I'll give you another example. So Stephanie Lawrence, vice president for product licensing and strategic partnerships at Vera Bradley, hmm. a women's accessory uh, company. And uh, so we, Stephanie had um, done some part-time teaching at Ohio State and liked it and wanted to see what it would be like to teach her own course. And so when we got sat down and thought about how to design the course, once again it was, well, what do you do on a daily basis, Stephanie? Well, I oversee product licensing. Okay, well, why don't we do a course in that? So tell us the process that you use. And she wrote down the process and we went, yeah, this sounds good, but shouldn't this go before this and that go? She goes, yeah, you're probably right. And okay, well, what areas is Vera Bradley looking at uh, to expand their licensing portfolio? And she identified three areas. And I said, okay, let's build a course around how you develop a proposal for the senior management team at Vera Bradley, we'll put the students into teams. Each team will pick one of these strategic areas for, for Vera Bradley. You'll walk them through the process, and at the end, you'll have, turns out, six proposals. Wow. And wow. it was an exciting experience for the students, an exciting experience for Stephanie. But where else are you going to sort of 
get that inside look at how it's actually done at a real company with, um, you know, we have a course that we teach every year, sports product management, taught by a guy, Doug Clark, who's got 35 years of experience in the shoe industry. And he likes to take them through design to um, distribution. Hmm. And each, each time he teaches the course, he brings in an industry partner. So the first one was ASICS America, then uh, New Balance, and most recently was with Wolverine, wow. which owns the Hush Puppy brand. I didn't know that brand still yeah. existed, by the way. <laughs> Very popular, I guess, in Asia. They were looking to create sort of a COVID shoe. And you've got somebody with that kind of industry experience. You've got a corporate partner who's very interested in what you're doing, who can provide their own insights and structure. And you walk the students through an entire process. You're not going to get that in the core curriculum. You're not going to get that in a typical class. But now think about the narrative that that student's going to be able to tell when they're on the job market and somebody says, why should I hire you? Well, let me tell you about this course I took, and let me tell you what I did. And, hey, do you want to see a picture of the shoe we developed? And so on and so on and so on. And I'll bet you nine times out of ten that's the student that's going to get hired for the job. Yeah, yeah I mean, they're, they're graduating with a full resume, right? Yeah. Like, which is which is amazing. And, you know, as you're talking, Neil, one of the things that comes to mind, too, is a lot of schools, when they tout, like, experiential learning, right, a lot of the times that does look like a semester, right, in your senior year where you spend a, you know, a little bit of time working at a company. And oftentimes, right, at least the interns that we bring on to, to our team, right, they're, you know, doing data entry work or like we're having them, you know, you know, help set up an email in like a MailChimp or a HubSpot or something like that, right? It's not that that's not, you know, important work, but it's, it's pretty basic, right? And that's kind of what you would expect for most college interns. It, it, it's sort of like bottom of the funnel work, right? Um, and I, what I love about this particular model is companies, right, are actually incentivized, the, the faculty, the, the instructors that you're bringing to teach these courses, right? Like, they're not in charge. Like, these, you know, these students are not their direct reports as they would be in a traditional sort of internship model. So instead, it's, it's almost like they're freed up to actually give a good lesson in, how to do branding, how to do product marketing well, right? How to sort of think about innovation at a larger company, et cetera. You, you almost give them the permission to just teach and, you know, muse and, and share sort of like their learnings without, right, needing to actually delegate work, if you will, um, to those students. And I think that that model is so different. And the, the student in turn, while they're not going to do an externship or they're not going to an internship, right? And they're not actually an employee of of the company during that season. They're getting way, way, way more bang for their buck because they're getting somebody who does know the company, who's at a leader in the in the industry, to tell them what's up. And that is that is remarkable. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think I need to come here. <laughs> yeah, well, I think you've captured it really well, Zach. But we take it one step further, where we ask our business professionals to bring in their company culture. Hmm. their way of doing things. So so we're very much about intentional soft skill development. You know, everybody wants soft skills, but soft skills are not really developed well as an afterthought to a textbook-based course. And so all of our um, courses have active learning, 
have the students actively engage with each other and with our business professionals. And we ask them to bring in the same values or the same ways of judging or evaluating things that takes place in their companies. And in fact, we had a, a class, uh, was taught by CIT Bank. Hmm. And the students weren't sort of doing the caliber of work that, um, that our professionals wanted to see. And they said, well, Neil, what should we do about it? And I said, well, what would you do if they came to work for you? And they said, well, you get called into the office. <laughs> and somebody would say, you know, your work's not up to par. And if we need to have this conversation a second time, you're not going to be working for me. Hmm. So I said, okay, Ted, go have that conversation with your students. Wow. Right? Because part of it should be sort of they need help transitioning to what they're going to experience as a young professional, right? And too many students have been trained, I study for the exam, I get a grade, I'm done. Hmm. Yeah. Where our focus is on you get an assignment, you do some work, you get feedback on that work, you make the work better, and in the end you turn in something that you're proud of, and many of our courses have a team of executives or somebody evaluating the work and that they can be proud of as well. What's so interesting about that is we did some canvassing just a couple days ago in, in downtown Boston. And we were asking students who go to schools in Boston to tell us about, like, if there, if there was one thing you could change about higher education, what, what would you change? What would you do differently? And uh, some of the consistent feedback that we received from students is, I wish school operated in a way where I was delegated a project, like at the beginning of the semester, right? And it was basically like, build a sustainable garden or figure out how to, you know, launch an online digital product, something, you know, pretty general, right? And then I wish I had a list of, you know, materials that I could tap into to understand how to do these things, podcasts, right? You know, audiobooks, videos, whatever it might be, maybe maybe even a, you know, physical book or a textbook. And I had like a, a list of resources that I could go in and tap into, but I got to choose, right? I got to choose which of those resources I was actually going to engage with and which ones I, I wasn't going to engage with. And then what I wish happened was I could go to faculty, I could go to instructors and ask for feedback, right? Say, hey, this is where I'm like experiencing some friction in the process, et cetera. And, but they acted more as, as coaches, right? And, and less as like, all right, I just got to, you know, please this faculty member to get a good grade in the course. And what was so interesting about what these students were saying, right, is it, is it mirrors almost exactly what, what you just described, right, which is folks want more project-based learning. Like they, they want the ability to work on a task that actually matters. It's actually significant. And I do think that students today, right, they, they're used to self-servicing, right? Like they know when they go onto their favorite brand's website to purchase a pair of shoes or purchase a t-shirt, they engage with a chat bot on the site, right? Like they're, they're good at figuring out how to solve problems themselves. We as consumers are today, right? And I think that that sort of culturally is, is, you know, making its way into higher ed too and making its way into how students think about learning. And so, I love that approach, and I think that that's, it's just very timely with the way in which Gen Z consumes information and what these students are actually saying they want from their schools. Yeah, and unfortunately, Zach, many institutions take a Band-Aid approach or a half measure. So a lot of third-party companies have 
developed and grown to sort of try and fit this need in the marketplace. So, oh, I want my students to work for a project. I don't, I don't have the ability to go out and find companies and projects. So I'm going to hire company X and I'm going to pay them Y dollars and they're going to find projects for us. But what are those projects and what's the value of those projects? Sure. And can the faculty member really oversee those projects and can they be well integrated into the core and will enough time be be provided to do those projects and so on and so forth. And so our model says, hey, these half measures don't really work. Mm. But it's something that's doable and it's actually, on the one hand, it's, it's, there's a lot to be coordinated when you're running 70 courses. That's a lot of sure. courses. Yeah, it sounds very overwhelming. But on the other hand, you know, I constantly worry, how are we going to find business professionals and are we going to have enough ideas and are we going to be able to offer 70 courses? But we've been doing this for close to three years now and that still has not been a problem. Mm. And you'd be amazed at how many business professionals are out there that want to give back or thinking about a career change or looking for a hobby yeah. or, um, or are just committed to what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so they want to participate. And what we've done is we've made it very easy for them to do so. So we've we've developed our own course design process. We work hand in hand with our industry professionals to put the course together. We've got a tremendous support system so they don't feel like, oh, it's just me in the classroom and I don't know what to do because there's nothing scarier than trying something new for the first time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we've created a really high touch experience. And most of our, virtually all of our instructors come back and do it again. The course evaluations they earn are just as high as the regular faculty across the street. And it's turned out to be a fabulous experience for everybody. So this idea that, oh, this is too overwhelming or too difficult or too challenging or too big, we can't do it. I think is thinking too small. I hmm. think that any university can do something similar to what we're doing here. I want to talk about Voice Z Digital. Yeah. So this is a student-run digital agency that is affiliated with the BIT program in, in some way. Um, talk to us about where this idea came from and how is it going? So in the really early days... When we were starting to think about the business and practice program, I had gone to a luncheon where I met a senior executive at HubSpot who put me uh, in contact with the head of their education educational partners program. And they actually have a satellite office in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. So, so we took a road trip to Portsmouth and we sat around kicking ideas and how much the industry needs young graduates who have had and have an understanding of the technology and have, have gotten their hands a little dirty. And so we were talking about how we might think about creating some two credit courses. And out of that came this idea, well, why don't we take that one step further and create a student run digital marketing agency? And I thought, wow, that's truly the embodiment of what we're trying to accomplish as part of the BIP program. So fortunately, once again, I was associate dean at the time. So if I thought it was a good idea, my staff yeah, would, <laughs> would groan a little bit and I'd go, hey, let's let's do it. So that's how Voice Z uh, was born. So um, and I guess full disclosure, I'm not a marketing person. I'm I'm an economist by training. Um, 
so I've learned a lot about marketing since then. But we start, we found a core group of students. I found a marketing faculty member to supervise it. Uh, we met with a number of digital agencies who gave us insights into how agencies work and what what they're looking for in a in a graduate. We partnered with a local digital agency, Raka Creative in Portsmouth. And uh, funny, one of the principals at Raka, Brian DeKonig, is somebody I knew from 15 years ago, and when he was a reporter for Foster's Daily Democrat, and and I was serving on the town council. And uh, both Brian and Duncan Craig, uh, another principal, UNH graduates, hey, anything we can do to help out, and we sort of built the agency. And so we recruited students, we offer some uh, digital marketing courses here in the BIP program, but I'll tell you the big, the big sort of um, game changer for us was when we partnered with the Small Business Development Center. Hmm which supports businesses here in the state of New Hampshire. And if you don't know anything about business in the state of New Hampshire, 96 or 7% are small businesses. Really? Yeah. Okay. Wow. And the SBDC is partially funded by the Small Business Administration, the feds. They've got counselors or advisors all over the state. They have maybe 900 um, clients in any given year. Because one of the concerns we had is that startup digital marketing agency was where we're going to get the clients from yeah and where are we going to find clients with needs that match the skills of our students enter the sbdc it's been a phenomenal partner for us um, we started off with them supplying our clients we've now reached a point of the agency where the students can do more sophisticated work so we've in increased our network with surrounding digital agencies, and now are specializing in things they don't want to do or can't do. And the work is pouring in, and it's been really successful, and every year it grows. But think of a phenomenal experience for our students, right? Because they're working with real clients. They're managing the agency themselves. They're going out, finding the business. They're putting the students into teams. The teams are doing the work for real clients. They're getting feedback from the clients. They can actually see the results of their efforts. And it's just been phenomenal. And um, I think one of our biggest achievements coming out of the BIP program. I mean, it's it sounds amazing. And I think one of the, the most interesting thing, at least to me, about what you all are doing here is you're helping students right graduate with legitimate jobs right uh, presumably yeah. like you've got people with job titles that are a part of voice z right like yeah. you must have a you know client success manager or a head of creative or, or something like that right so yeah. students are, are actually graduating with with real job uh, job experience right but what they're also what i what i love about this maybe even more is they get to test out hey what do i like and what do i not like about marketing because i think one of the challenging things in, in any sort of field right is that you think you want to do something right you might even like learning about it but then when you're actually doing it you find out you know what I don't actually like this or, or you know what? Wow. Like I'm way more creative than I thought. Right. And it, it's a confidence booster for students, right. To, to better understand what trajectory should I take my career in? Like how, how, wh what is it that I actually want to do after graduation so that when they're looking for those entry level jobs, they can be a little bit more specific. Right. And when they're interviewing for those jobs, right. They can tout this experience and you know, they should, they should be negotiating to higher starting salaries than students who don't have, who haven't worked for a 
digital agency during their undergraduate career. So this is amazing on on so many fronts. You know, it's interesting that you say that, Zach, because the person who's the current managing director of Voice Z discovered she's not really interested in marketing. There you go. And isn't going to get a career of marketing as the result of this. But it's a fabulous experience for her managing uh, Voice Z. And the managing director that preceded her discovered that she's interested more in project management than marketing. Huh. But here's the great story about Isabella, you know, because when you construct a resume, people want to know what your skills are. And she applied for this job where uh, they wanted you to be able to put together a website in WordPress and do a few other things, which, which Isabel had been doing for us. And so I said, put that on your resume. But now when you do the interview, talk about the experience, pull up, the website that you built and say, I built this website, go check it out. Here's what the website does. And she was very competitive as a result and can compete against people that had five or six years of experience because she could not only say, I know how to do it, but she could show them that she had done it. And that makes all the difference in the world. I've got two final questions for you. One is around this framework that you all have created in BIP, how might this be applied to to other schools? Like if, if you if you're talking to a colleague right at another institution and they're saying, Neil, how do I replicate something like this in my context? Like where do folks start? Well, I guess they could start by sending me an email. Step two, uh, we're writing a book about uh, our business and practice program and the future of experiential learning. So send you an email, buy your book. Buy your book. (laughs) Book won't be out for probably 12 to 18 months. We're just in the process of writing that. Um, We we recently uh, published a paper on redesigning the future of experiential learning, which has come out in the Journal of Higher Education Theory and Practice. We continue to to um, write stuff that will show you how to do it. Um, we're continuing to sort of develop our processes and our models, and and eventually we'll put that all out where people can access it and develop their own business and practice program. Because let's let's face it, you know, higher education is in a different spot, difficult spot right now. It's very expensive. The general public doesn't understand the value of it. And we feel that by solving this big problem of better preparing graduates to step into the workplace, that parents and prospective students will feel a lot better about spending the money on very high tuition. But also employers, alumni, will feel more comfortable and confident in supporting that institution and everything that it's, it's doing. So by bringing everybody together around sort of a novel and unique educational philosophy and approach, you really create sort of an ecosystem where everybody's reinforcing what everybody else is doing, and it creates a solid win-win. And I think this is really the future of higher education. Very, very well said. My last question for you is, can this sort of model be applied in other contexts? Like, could the English department do something like this? Could, you know, the engineering school do something like this? Like, how how might this work in when, 
outside of business, if you will? Well, I think that it's a mistake for anybody not to implement this. So students need soft skills. Students need to be prepared to enter the workforce. They need to become work ready, whether you're an English major or an electrical engineer. And we're, we're, what we're really trying to do is we're trying to give students a glimpse of what it's like in the outside world and what they need to do to prepare to be successful in that world. And anybody that graduates is going to enter that world and is going to want to be successful. But I always like to tell the story of my son, the history major, who is the lead sales engineer for a company called Form Labs down in Somerville, Massachusetts. They make 3D printers. And he's a history major. Yeah. Not only was he a history major, he was a medievalist. A medievalist. A medievalist. Turned lead salesman. But it, uh, if he can make that transition, anybody can make that transition. We just all need a little help. We need, a little, we need an opportunity to see what's out there. We need somebody to guide us. We need to have a little experience. Part of, part of the whole philosophy of our program, it's about self-discovery. What do I like? What am I passionate about? How can I make a difference? what is required in order to be successful in anything that we do. And when you combine that with a bunch of cool courses, and by the way, Zach, we even have a course in podcasting called The Business of Podcasting, oh, taught, look by, at that. Look taught at that. by Dave Hamilton, who was one of the original uh, founders of the Mac Observer. Um, there's something for everybody. And anybody who is going to have a professional career is going to benefit from the experiences that we create. And there's something that you can find. We teach a lot of courses in leadership and other kinds of qualities uh, that would make anybody successful in a number of different um, professions. Well, Neil, thank you for your time. Thank you for all of the effort that you and so many others have put into making this program a success. And I'm sure folks will be reaching out, asking questions um, about how they might be able to replicate something in, in their context. So thank you, thank you for your time. Sure, no, it's my pleasure. And they can just go to our website, businessandpractice.org, and they can learn more about what we're doing and they can shoot us an email uh, directly from the website. Fantastic. Yeah. And we'll link all of that in the show notes as well to make it easy for you all listening. All right, Neil, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Sure. Take care. If you are an enrollment marketer working in marketing and communications or enrollment management and would be willing to be interviewed on the podcast, or if you have an idea for a topic that you'd like to hear covered on the podcast, please reach out directly to me at Zach, Z-A-C-H at Enrollify.org. We sincerely look forward to working with you to make Enrollify the most trusted, go-to digital resource for enrollment marketers out there.